There's a lot of traditions that make people feel holy. That's what it does. It makes them feel holy. Why? Because these traditions are sacred. And if you really want to feel holy and sacred, you do what these traditions say, and you do it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you're praying, practicing traditions that can be found nowhere in His Word. Do you know going to church on Sunday is not holy? Just because people make it holy. How can people be holy and practice church going on Sunday and ignore assembling on the Sabbath? Whose holiness are they upholding? Theirs or Jehovah's? Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The ability to distinguish between clean and unclean animals was revealed to mankind before the days of Noah. The commandments of Jehovah are given to Moses to give to the Hebrew Israelites and those that joined themselves to Jehovah's people expanded clean and unclean things beyond animals to people and to the land. Specific instructions to follow were given to keep his people from becoming defiled and defiling others. The religious leaders expanded even further Jehovah's laws pertaining to clean and unclean. They created their own laws on the subjects that they taught, which ultimately made the Torah law of no effect. By adding to the law, the religious leaders were able to subjugate Jehovah's people into bondage to their religious systems and tried to subject Yeshua and his disciples to their religious laws. In this podcast, Clean, Unclean, and Religious Hypocrisy, Yeshua exposes the religious leaders' commandments on clean and unclean and declares that their commandments led to vain worship and religious hypocrisy. So, let's study. So we are in Matthew chapter number 15, and the email that we sent out earlier declares that having the knowledge and the knowledge of being able to distinguish between clean and unclean animals were revealed to mankind before the days of Noah. We know it was revealed to man before the days of Noah because Noah knew the difference between the clean animals and the unclean animals. It wasn't revealed at that moment. He knew. The commandments of Jehovah given to Moses to give to the Hebrew Israelites, and I keep stressing the fact that Father spoke these commands to Moses. Moses wrote down what Father spoke. Moses didn't create or come up with. He received the instructions from the mouth of Jehovah and then declared these things to the Hebrew people. Those who joined themselves also heard these things and were responsible. And in the commandments, Father expanded clean and unclean things beyond animals to people and to the land with specific instructions to follow, to keep his people from becoming defiled and defiling others. And we're going to deal with this issue of defilement in this particular passage The religious leaders expanded even further the laws pertaining to clean and unclean, created their laws on the subject that they taught, which ultimately made the Torah law of no effect. Therefore, by adding to the Torah, the law, the religious leaders were able to subjugate Jehovah's people into bondage to their religious systems. And this is exactly what is happening to so many today whether they be Christian, Hebrew roots, Messianic, Jewish, they are believing amongst what they call like-minded individuals that are in disagreement with other camps and groups that are also like-minded. What we're going to look at in this teaching is how Yeshua and his disciples encountered and then a confrontation 
with some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who literally tried to bring Yeshua and his disciples under their bondage or under their religious laws. And this is what you encounter when you have individuals who dispute and disagree with you or communicate to you that you have fallen from grace. Now, they are remaining in grace, but you've fallen. And so we're going to look at this and begin to determine for ourselves, and this is why it's so important that we stick to what is written. The moment you get away from what is written, you become at the mercy of the teachers. We have a teacher already. His name is Yeshua. And say that again. We have a teacher already. His name is Yeshua. Now, Paul is a lesser teacher, but how many of you know, for many people, Paul is more well-known than Yeshua is. And I say that because people quote Paul more than they quote Yeshua. <laughs> Interesting stuff here. In verse one, it says, then came to Yeshua scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. Now, if we look in the previous chapter, we see that Yeshua and his disciples are in the Galilee. So here are these scribes and Pharisees who've come all the way from Jerusalem down to the Galilee where Yeshua and his disciples were. They come and the second verse shows us that they come to question. They don't come to get understanding. And this is where you have to discern the difference between questions that are asked for understanding and distinguish from questions that are designed to challenge. Because everyone who's asking you questions is not asking you questions for understanding. They're asking you questions because they already know what your belief is, and then they want to challenge your answers. And this is probably one of the clearest teachers or passages in the Bible, in the gospel, where we can identify that the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching as commandments the traditions of men. They weren't teaching the traditions of men apart from the commandments. They were teaching the traditions of men as commandments, meaning that the people were responsible to them to uphold these traditions as if they were commanded by the Most High himself. The question, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? How? They eat and they don't wash their hands before they eat. This is what they're saying. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, this word bread is actual bread. And we know, based on the question, that the disciples were eating bread, and bread in itself is not unclean. There is no unclean ingredients in bread. Therefore, the issue here is not what they were eating. The issue is they were transgressing the tradition of the elders. That's the issue. They're challenging Yeshua and his disciples for not following their rules. Their rules are to be obeyed. Their rules are being taught as commandments. And so the people are very much familiar with the fact that these are laws. This is what we believe. This is what we follow. And this is taught as if it comes from him. When the fact is, it didn't come from him, but it is cloaked under him in religion. The word here, transgress, is violate, to transgress, to go by the side or to go past or pass over without touching, that's a more expanded. But what it boils down to is that you all are in violating, you are in violation of the commandments that we have declared comes from Jehovah. The tradition 
deals with giving up, giving over, the act of giving up, a surrender of a city, a giving over, which is done by word of mouth or in writing, a instruction, a precept, objectively that which is delivered, the sort, substance of a teaching, and get this one, of the body of precepts, especially ritual, which in the opinion of the later Jews were orally delivered by Moses. Now, this didn't come from the early Hebrews. This come from the latter. And we can trace this back to the time of Babylon. There were no Pharisees in the Torah. There were no Sadducees in the Torah. There were no religious traditions according to the Torah, and you won't find them throughout the kings. You won't find them in the judges. You won't find it in the Torah. You won't find it in Joshua. You won't find it throughout the kings. It wasn't until the children of Israel, through their disobedience, was taken into Babylon that these oral traditions became the established way of life. We know that while in Babylon, and get this, while in Babylon, the children of Israel did religious stuff. We know Jeremiah was in Babylon. Daniel was in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all in Babylon. They had a belief, but understand something. The Torah that was part of the temple was carried away into Babylon and kept in the treasury. It wasn't until Nehemiah was released that the Torah now is made available. Ezra reads from the Torah, and for the first time, the children of Israel, since their Babylonian captivity, actually celebrated a feast because it was written in the Torah. Now, they were there 70 years. Why weren't they celebrating the tabernacles and the other feasts during that time? They didn't have the Torah. They didn't have the Torah, but they had religion. Daniel prayed. They had faith in God, but they didn't have the instructions of Jehovah other than the things that was remembered and the prophets during the time who was prophesying to them, namely Jeremiah, whom they threw in the pit, threw in the dungeon. <laughs> and here's the thing, when people don't have what is written and they want to serve God, they establish a way to do it. These ways of serving him was established in Babylon. And when the children of Israel was brought out of Babylon, they not only came with the Torah, but they came with the traditions, the traditions that had kept them while they were in Babylon. These were orally delivered. Now notice again, of the body of precepts, especially ritual, which in the opinion of the later Jews were orally delivered by Moses. So what are they saying? That the oral traditions was given to us by Moses, but they weren't. And so these were delivered by Moses, they said, and orally transmitted in unbroken succession to subsequent generations, which precepts both illustrating and expanding the written law. Now, what does the Torah say? You, you don't expand on this. You don't add to this. You don't diminish from it. And by teaching them, as they did, were to be obeyed with equal reverence. If you break the oral tradition, you have broken the commandments of Jehovah. Did Jehovah establish the oral traditions? No. So what did they do? They had taken the place of God in the lives of the people. The people were more afraid of the religious leaders than they were of Jehovah. The transgression of the tradition of the elders were to the Pharisees the same as transgressing the law of Jehovah. 
The traditions were oral commandments created in Babylon and handed down from generation to generation by the elders, formerly written in Codex around 200 AD, and today it's called the Talmud. Now, the Bible doesn't give us this information. So if you were to look up the origin of the Talmud, you'll find that there's two primary Talmuds. One is the Jerusalem Talmud, which is a lesser known Talmud, and then the Babylonian Talmud, which is the one that actually teaches halakha, Jewish law, how Jews are to conduct their lives every single day. In other words, when a religious Jew in Judaism wake up, there's rituals that is associated with waking up before getting out of bed. There are rituals of what to do when you get out of bed, even to what sock or shoe to put on first. I mean, it's rituals all day, every day. And when they go to shul or yeshiva, they're reinforced as this is how we live. This is what makes you a religious Jew. Now, we know that all religious Jews don't focus or operate or live by the same traditions. It depends on what denomination you were brought up in as a Jew. This is why you'll see some Jews, they simply wear skull caps. You'll see some Jews, they wear all black skull caps and they have the wide brim hat. And then underneath the hat is the skull cap. So if they take one off, you see the skull cap. You see others who are wearing the big furry hats. You see others who are wearing different colors of um, kippers. And all of these are distinguished from one another because according to tradition, if you're part of this denomination, this is how you dress every day. And on Shabbat, Shabbos, you wear this hat. During the rest of the week, you wear this hat. And so throughout the week, you can go and you'll see that there are traditions that they follow, but these are not traditions per se, as you decide whether you're going to follow them or not. These are traditions that are law. You must follow. Judaism, the religion of the Jews, is taught from the Talmud. And what I was about to say is that if you were to look at the origin, you'll find, and this is, I use 200 AD here because it's the earliest in some research papers it's not until the seventh century. And in some, it goes all the way to the 13th century that these books were codexed or became finalized. So even when you look at the research trying to find the origin of the Talmud, you'll find a variety of opinions, if you would. Judaism, the religion of the Jews, is taught from the Talmud, which is an expansion of the Torah, making the Torah void. The Talmud pits the Pharisees' commandments against Jehovah's commandments. And Yeshua is going to bring correction to that. The Talmud creates man-made worship that is against true worship, as Isaiah will address and Yeshua refers to in verse 9. So here you have a people who are worshiping. This is how they worship. Yeshua is going to say that what you guys are doing is vain worship. How can worship be vain? Because it's not according to the instruction. You see, when I went to church as a Christian and we had praise and worship, there was no explanation of worship. So as a Christian, in the church, and they say we're going to have praise and worship, then what do I ascribe worship to? I ascribe worship to what we're doing. If we're praising and worshiping, then this is praise and worship, and therefore we're worshiping God the way we praise and worship. Is that biblical worship? Come to find out it's not. Now, if you praise on your face, 
if you put your forehead to the ground, if, if you bow down before him while you're doing your praise and your worship, then you would be more in line with what the Bible teach as worship. Therefore, what the church calls worship, that is not what the Bible teach as worship, is vain worship, no different than these individuals who are going to worship and Yeshua says your worship is in vain. So he corrects them. They are elevating their traditions to be equal to Jehovah's law and by doing so made their traditions more important than Jehovah's law. You can't tell a Christian that if they are singing worship songs, they're not worshiping God. You can't tell them that. They reject that. How can you say I'm not worshiping God? Father, I worship you. Guess what? You're honoring him with your lips. That's what you're giving him is lip service. Verse three. But when he answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God by how? Your traditions. See, you're worshiping him your way, but he says this is how you are to worship. And yet you got your traditional ways of worshiping him and you're holding everybody to that form of worship. And they, with all of their heart, believe that they're worshiping God according to how the elders are teaching, assuming the elders are teaching from the Bible. Yeshua addresses a particular transgression. Verse four says, for God commanded saying, honor your father and mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. We've gone through that in Exodus. We've looked at those verses and addressed them. But the Pharisees rewrote and changed the law, which in essence made Jehovah's law void. But you say, now remember when we looked at in Matthew, Yeshua said, you've heard it said by them of old, but I say unto you. And now them that, are teaching them of old is coming and confronting Yeshua and saying, listen, you're not doing what we say. And Yeshua says, you're not doing what he say. And what you're teaching is not what he said teach, but you say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mayest be profited by me. Most people don't have a clue what Yeshua is saying here because they don't connect honoring your father and your mother as taking care of them when they're unable to take care of themselves. They don't understand that if their father or mother have a financial need, that they have an obligation and a responsibility to their father and mother. Chapter eight, where it talks about honor Jehovah with your first fruits and with all your increase, honor, honor is associated with money in that passage. It's associated with giving. And this is why this idea here, Yeshua says, but whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. In other words, you're taking that which you should be honoring your parents with because the Pharisee says, if you take what you were supposed to be honoring your parents with, turn it into a gift, give it as an offering, then you've honored your father and mother by doing nothing for them. That word gift, Doran, a gift, a present, gifts offered an expression of honor of sacrifices and other gifts offered to Jehovah, of money cast into the treasury for the purpose of the temple and for the support of the poor. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to increase their coffers by putting the people into bondage to where, you know, you're giving that to your parents. No, we're going to sanctify it. It becomes holy. Give it to the church. Give it to the temple, give it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees while your parents are neglected. It's a gift, it's an offering. Mark called the gift Corbin. 
In Mark 7, 11, he says, but you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And that word is a gift offered. The sacred treasury is where it's offered to. But Mark goes on, at least I thought Mark did. Maybe we'll pick up on Mark later. Yeah. Yeshua says, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So here's the commandment, honor your parents. Don't curse your parents. Here's the tradition, what you would have honored your parents with, what you would have given to your parents. If you give it, if it's sacred, you give it to the temple, you give it to the treasury, you know, where we're going to benefit from it, of course, then you don't have to do what God says, just do what we say. And guess what? We absolve you of whatever punishment. We release you from what he says, as long as you're doing it as we say, do it. In Mark, Yeshua addressed other traditions. The Pharisees taught his commandments. He says, verse eight, Mark chapter seven, for laying aside the commandment of Elohim, you hold the tradition of men. How? One, washing hands, as Yeshua identified. But Mark takes it further. He says, now you're washing pots and cups and then many other such things you do. I remember when I was in Tel Aviv and I was going to the place where Herzl and others actually declared Israeli sovereignty in 1948. And so there's this historical gathering place in Tel Aviv. And I remember having to go to the restroom. And in this place, going to the restroom, they had this two-handle pot in the men's room. The two-handle pot has got two handles so that if you haven't washed your hand, you're not defiling yourself if it was a one-handed pot. If it's a one-handed pot and you take the one handle and pour it over the one hand, then you just defile that handle. So if you take the other hand and pour it over that hand, now you're defiling the, you're not washing according to the religion of the Jews. So you have two handles, one to hold to wash the left hand, the other handle to hold to wash the right hand, and therefore you don't get defiled. These are pots. This is a tradition. He says, in many other such things you do. People don't realize that when they're putting these prayer shawls over their heads and fanning the flames of candles for the Sabbath, where is that in the Bible? Where are we commanded to light candles? How can people say, blessed are you, Jehovah Elohim, who have commanded us to light the Sabbath candles? Where did he command that? There's a lot of traditions that make people feel holy. That's what it does. It makes them feel holy. Why? Because these traditions are sacred. And if you really want to feel holy and sacred, you do what these traditions say, and you do it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you're praying, practicing traditions that can be found nowhere in his word. Do you know going to church on Sunday is not holy? How can people be holy and practice church going on Sunday and ignore assembling on the Sabbath? Whose holiness are they upholding? Theirs or Jehovah's? The Sabbath day is to be remembered and kept holy. Doesn't matter what day you declare to be holy. He's declared this day to be holy and for you to sacredly assemble. But tomorrow people are going to be assembling in sacred assemblies that they've declared to be holy on the day that they've declared to be holy while ignoring his holiness and then declaring themselves to be holy because they're doing it, worshiping him a way that is very different than how he says to worship, approaching him in a way that is not found in scripture. When I did it that way, I did it with all my heart. 
with all my strength because I believed that I was worshiping God. You couldn't tell me I wasn't. And so he says, and many other such things you do. And now listen, he says, and he said unto them, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. That's an indictment, folks. To those who are supposed to be representing him. For Moses said, and now Yeshua is teaching Moses. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, thou, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. So who's profit? <laughs> he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Making the word of God not effect through your tradition, which you have delivered and many such like things you do. This wasn't the only one. That was a whole bunch of them. So basically the Pharisees taught if the people use the money they were to support their parents with and give that money to the treasury as a gift, the people were freed from the commandment to honor their parents. They could neglect their parents' needs as a form of Pharisee. Paul taught this after his conversion. This is where he came from. And now we're dealing with the issues of widows in this particular passage, but that's the context. But what Paul takes it, he says in verse seven, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. So he's talking about the widows. He's talking about widows indeed. Receive no woman as a widow in the ministry where you become responsible for them if they're under 60 years old and if they've only had one husband. Specific instructions Paul is giving. But here he says, but if any provide not for his own. Now notice he uses two different groups. Not provide for his own and specially. For those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If your parents had need, well, they ain't saved. They don't believe like I do. And you're able to help them? Well, how can I be helping my parents? Well, what if she this? Well, what if she's that? What if he's this? What if he's that? What if he don't believe this? What if he don't do that? Well, what do you do? You see, we can find reasons not to do what we're responsible or obligated to do, but we got to stand before the Almighty. My mom didn't go to Sabbath services. My mom was my mom. She lived her life. But I can't neglect the fact that because of her and my dad, I'm here. And when I had need, they provided. I wasn't saved then either. I wasn't keeping the Torah either. Whether I kept the Torah or not, or whether I believed in Jesus, or even if I hadn't been baptized, none of that was relevant. The fact is, as a parent, they had an obligation to their child to not neglect them. If the child was neglected by the parents, the state would take, come in and take the child out of their possession. And now the tables have turned and father's saying, listen, you have a responsibility. You can't be cussing your parents out. Well, what if they cuss you out? Well, don't do them like you want them to do. You be like he says be, regardless of what they do. And that's the place we come to, regardless of what my mom says or my dad says or, or any of them. Now, this doesn't extend to my brothers and sisters. There's no place in the Bible where it says, honor your brother and your sister, but it is a command to honor your father and your mother. And those who don't do it, I don't care how pious you say you are, how spiritual you say you are, you're worse than an unbeliever. If your parents are neglected while you're living, how on the on the turkey bacon. Then he goes and says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Now he's preaching from the prophets. <laughs> he told him, Moses said it and look at what you're saying. 
And it seems as if Moses taught this and the Pharisees are teaching something that is opposed to Moses, then this would be a great time for Yeshua to say, you're not obligated to Moses anymore. What the Pharisees are doing, that's what you should be doing. No. Saying you all are teaching what the Almighty gave Moses to be untrue. In other words, Father spoke to Moses. This stuff you all are teaching, where'd you get it from? Who spoke that to you? The Greek calls a hypocrite an actor, a stage player. For you movie lovers, for you folks who like watching folks who make you cry, make you mad, you let people in your spirit while you guarding your heart against religious folk. You're watching fornicators and adulterers and liars and thieves and murderers. And they're all up in your spirit because if you have an emotion with what you are watching, they have tapped into your emotion through their acting. And now you look at the idols that people have. The Gary's, man, it, Trying to remember some of these old actors. Seems like my mind is being purged from it. Yeah, Grant. Now, I think he, well, I ain't going to start no rumor, but it's not a rumor. Anyway, we're watching homosexuals and lesbians and fornicators and adulterers perform in front of us. And we open up our spirit and let them right in. And they're in there messing with us acting and depending on how well they do they get awards and now they become somebody that you esteem somebody that you respect somebody that you exalt as somebody who has a voice and a platform and look at what are they doing with their platform and with their voice what are they promoting i don't watch homosexuals i don't watch lesbians i've been watching movies that i like to watch because, you know, sometimes I have downtime, but the moment there's a scene that's ungodly, psst, if I see two men kissing, if I see two women kissing, that's it. I don't care if it's got a hundred more episodes. I'm done with it. I don't watch homosexuals and lesbians tell me the news. I'd rather not hear the news than to listen to a homosexual or lesbian. How can I honor Torah and listen to that? These people are not even supposed to be nowhere near my spirit. And yet we've been so dumbed down as a society, so accepting, loving, nice, and caring to where we let all this junk come into our spirit and then got the nerve to say we don't have to keep the commandments of God. Yeah, you're not. This people, Yeshua said, Draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, what is this coming from? Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 29, verse 13, it says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. That's the NIV version, the New American Standard. Then the Lord says, because these people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. The American version, Standard. The Lord said, for as much as the people draw near unto me and with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their heart from me and their fear of me is a commandment of men, which has been taught them. And then the Amplified. And the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts and minds far from me and their fear of reverence for me are a commandment of men that is learned by repetition without any thought as to the many. I feel sorry 
for anybody out there who say we don't have to keep the law and then have to stand before the lawgiver for judgment. I don't argue with them because to me, they're fools. You don't say you don't have to keep the law of God and then you got to stand before him. Who you think you're going to go before in judgment? And like any courtroom where there's a judge, there has to be law and order to properly judge. What do you think he's going to be judging according to? How well you went to your church? How much you served? You were part of the praise team? To keep his commandments, it doesn't matter how much you praise him, how much you worship him, how much you pray, how much you serve. If you don't keep his commandments, it's all in vain. The whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. You reject his commandments, you reject him. You reject his law, you reject the one who gave the law. Yeshua called the multitude and explained what he meant to the people as his disciples listened. And here's how you can be a disciple, you can be a person who claimed to love God and read the Bible and not hear what he's saying, you can memorize the Bible. You can have passages, verses all over your house, quote them all day long, got them in your bathroom, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, on the, on the Frigidaire, <laughs> everywhere. But if you're not a doer, what's the point? You should have called the multitude. And said unto them, listen to this, folks. He calls the multitude and he says, hear and understand. So what has he done? This is not a parable. He's explaining to them so that they can understand and be wise. That word understand is that, the usage. Look at the usage there. It says to understand, to consider, to be wise. He says, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. This defileth the man. Question for you. Does eating pork make you unclean? For how long? Y'all looking strange. Do you know that eating pork doesn't make you unclean? Not according to Yeshua. Now, pork is unclean. The Bible makes it clear. If you look at Leviticus 11 and you see where it says these are the things you're not to eat, you notice that there's never a connection of how long you are unclean if you do eat them. So Yeshua is saying, listen, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. Now, of course, he's dealing with eating with unwashing hands. But the same thing is that it doesn't go into your heart. When you speak you're not speaking pork. Eating pork, he's saying, that's not what defile you. What defile you is what comes out of your mouth. If you eat pork, guess what? It goes into your body and straight out of your, because this is what he's explaining. Do you know that you can touch a pig and not be defiled? But if you touch a Dead pig. See, that's the difference. If you touch the carcass of a pig. So the law is very specific. The pork is unclean and it's supposed to be detestable to you. So if you detest it, you're not going to eat it because you don't eat what you detest. It's unclean because it's unclean it's detestable. But what if you eat it? What if you eat it and don't know you ate it? It's important, brothers and sisters, to stick with what is written. Because most of us in here, as much of the word we've been going through, conclude that to eat pork renders you unclean. But every place in the Bible where you are rendered unclean, there's a specific amount of time that you are unclean. Whether it be until evening, whether it be for seven days, whether it be during the period of your uncleanness, the word here defile is 
to make common, to make unclean. And what he's going to get to is that, listen, what you speak shows what's in your heart. It's coming out. What you believe is coming out. And that's what defiles. How does it defile? Because now your words are affecting and impacting somebody else. If I'm saying something and preachers defile folks all the time when they tell people they don't have to keep the law. If folks didn't have preachers and denominations and churches and they picked up the Bible and read the Bible, at what point in the Bible do you think they will come to the conclusion that pork is now clean? They would have to assume some things because there's no clear instruction. And if they do come to that conclusion, it won't be because of what the Almighty said or Yeshua. Because Yeshua is speaking very specifically. The question is not about what they're eating. The question is that they're not following the traditions. Verse 12, then came his disciples. Now notice what he said. Hear and understand. Who's listening? The multitude and his disciples. Where is his disciples? They're right there with him. Now they come and said unto him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Yeshua says, I ain't studying them. I asked my vernacular because this is what he says. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. So what is he saying? My father didn't plant them. Remember the tares, the parable of the tares? Yeshua is saying, listen, if father didn't plant them, they're going to be rooted up. Yeshua already knows they weren't sent by the almighty, but they were the religious standard. It says every plant my father has not planted shall be rooted up. Who's going to do the rooting? His angels. It's not our job to root out the bad weed. It's not my job. But you know what? If I preach the truth and keep preaching the truth, they're going to squirm. And you know what's going to happen? That truth is either going to make you free or it's going to drive you out. That's what it's going to do. It's going to make you free or it's going to drive you out. Well, now, brother, you shouldn't be trying. I ain't trying to drive nobody. Nowhere. I really aren't. I'm not. But I'm not going to compromise what I believe to be true. You got to deal with that. Because I too got to stand up in front of him and give an account for what he has called me to do. As with my parents, though they be deceased, my whole life, I never swore, cursed, used profanity, dishonored my parents. Well, I take that back. When I was a child, I stole things. I snuck and did stuff I was told not to do. I disobeyed. But when I became an adult, I did my very best to look after them. Father is going to deal with all of us. It doesn't matter what the world around me is doing. It doesn't matter what other preachers are doing. It doesn't matter what other folks feel that they've got the freedom and the liberty to exercise. I know who I will have to stand before and give an account to. And I'm aware of this most of the time. Every now and then I have a lapse in judgment. And I'm thankful for his spirit that convicts me when I lack judgment. Because I'm not perfect. Sometimes I have thoughts that I shouldn't be having. Sometimes in private, I speak out loud what's in my heart, but I won't say it out loud where somebody else can hear it. I get frustrated. I get angry. And I have to deal with this, but I deal with it in private between him and I. Because I don't want to defile somebody. Do you know the moment if my son or my daughter hear me curse, if they hear me use profanity toward my wife, they will always remember that. 
I don't want that to be a part of their memory. I'm a grown man. I can smoke weed if I want to. I don't. But if I want to, I wouldn't do it in front of them. If I have a glass of wine or a strong drink, though I have the freedom to do that, I wouldn't do it in front of them. There are certain people that I wouldn't let me see me do certain things that I do. Why? Because I'm not going to be a stumbling block. I'm not going to allow my freedom, my liberty to be a stumbling block to somebody else, though I have the right and the freedom to do it. That's exercising self-control and being mindful of the people that are watching me and especially mindful of those who are looking for a flaw. Because with what I teach, folks are constantly looking for flaws. They're looking for ways to discredit me. I know it. I ain't mad at them. Because it's supposed to keep me on my, as they say in the old days, P's and Q's. Whatever that means. What is that? P's and Q's. Hmm? He did. Must be an English thing. So every plant that father doesn't plant is going to be rooted up. So it's not my job to root them up. Verse 14. Let them alone. And then what does he say? They blind. And if the blind lead the blind, so the Pharisees were blind and the people who followed them are blind. The people who follow Messianic Judaism are doing the same thing. They're blind, following blind folk. Verse 15, then answered Peter and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. Now this bothered Yeshua if you look at what he's saying. Because earlier, remember what he did? He called the multitude. Let's go back there. He called the multitude, and this is what he said. Hear and understand. Hear and understand. So he explains it, and his disciples come to him without understanding. And he seemingly says, and Yeshua says, are you also yet without understanding? What kind of question is that? It's a question indicating that he expected them to understand what he just said. And then, you know, looking at the meaning, he could have been saying one of these three things. Unintelligent, without understanding, stupid. Without understanding, foolish. Now he's talking to his disciples. Yeshua questions the intelligence of his disciples. He explained it and they still didn't get it. So now he explains again. He says, do not Ye yet understand. Now that's verse 17 and verse 16. He says, are you also yet without understanding? And then he goes on and said again, do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the toilet, the drought, that ham sandwich you ate, it didn't get in your blood. I know y'all didn't eat ham sandwiches. I know you didn't. But there's folks who ain't got delivered yet because for some reason they think it's okay and, you know, I love them, they say. He says, what you put in your mouth goes out your, into your belly and it goes, it's just passing through. <laughs> what you eat becomes waste and you discharge it from your body. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. When you hear somebody using language and, and you want to cover up your ears or you want to tell them to stop talking like that or you want to correct them, you shouldn't be speaking like that. Because if you don't say anything or feel a certain way, it may be because you talk like that too. And if you talk like that, that's probably why it doesn't bother you when somebody else talk like that. But to the pure, all things are pure. We have to get to a place where our hearts are pure, our hands are pure and clean. Our bodies are purified and sanctified and set apart. Our language is purified and set apart. Why? Because we represent the Almighty. Imagine you being a young person going through the neighborhood, cussing everybody out, and it came back to your parents, and they did nothing. 
Maybe because they are that way themselves. But if your parents had any self-respect or dignity, and you'll notice that people in the neighborhood that don't have self-respect and dignity, the neighbors identify them as lacking self-respect and dignity. Back where we came from, they called them Bebe's kids. Nobody wanted to be Bebe's kids because Bebe was disrespectful. She'll cuss you out in a moment. And them children picked up those habits. And all you can do is pray them out the neighborhood <laughs> or move. Nobody wants to be neighbors to disrespectful people. No one. Unless, of course, it's a neighborhood of disrespectful people. They just go along to get along. You cuss me, I cuss you. You talk about my mama, I talk about your mama. You throw stuff in my yard, I'll throw stuff in your yard. Next thing you know, you just got a filthy neighborhood with a lot of filthy people with filthy mouths. That's what happens. They defile themselves. They are defiled, and what comes out of them is defiled, and they defile other people. The words you speak can defile you because they expose what is in your heart. Yeshua said later in reference to the Pharisees, he says, no generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you are a viper, if you are an evil person, guess what? When you open your mouth, it's going to expose itself. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Where does they come from? Remember when we, as we've been going through Exodus and from time to time, we've mentioned it as we've gone through Matthew, that after the flood, father said to Noah, never again will I curse the earth with a flood like I've done because of man. Because the imaginations of man's heart is evil from their youth. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart is full of evil because we've been brought up around it. Even when we may not be as evil or as wicked as the neighbor, there's still that element, that fallen nature that is a part of us that we now have to spend the rest of our lives rooting out of us because it's there. And as long as you're in this body that is deteriorating in this body of flesh surrounded by people, it'll constantly be tested and tried. And you have to maintain self-respect and dignity about yourself as a representative of the Most High when you're around disrespected people. People who have no concern about holy stuff. People who want you to respect their abominations. People who want you to accept the things Father says is an abomination. There are people out there that we, if we were living in the kingdom of Israel, as the Almighty established it from its beginning, that wouldn't even be permitted to, uh, to be allowed to live in the community. If a man slept with a man, put him to death. Woman sleeping with women, put him to death. Witches and sorcerers and soothsayers, put him to death. Atheists, unbelievers, drive him out. And here we are, with the commands of the Almighty that is making us holy people by faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, surrounded by people who could care less. And that doesn't give us cause or reason to allow what they do affect us and our behavior because we recognize, see, when you give place to the enemy, he comes to take you out. He ain't coming to play footsies with you. He play for keep. Remember the Bible says he come to do what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Give no place to the devil. Because if he gets in for a moment, guess what? <laughs> At some point, he's not the servant. See, he will, he will appease. I, I, I've seen where people, you know, 
drugs, alcohol, sex, money, fame, power, notoriety, all that stuff. The enemy uses that stuff to draw people in. That's the same thing he tried to do with Yeshua. Remember, all this, I give it. I'll give you all that. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. That's all. And if you don't understand worship, you don't even know you're doing it. I'm mindful anytime I get on my knees. Why? Because I, I know that worship involves bowing down. And so when I bow down, I got to be mindful. I'm bowing down. Why am I bowing down? And I have to be mindful of how I'm bowing down. Because that's a posture. And I don't even want it to be perceived by the enemy or no other spirit that because I'm on my knees looking under my bed for something, which is why sometimes I'm only on one knee. It's like that's, that's just how my mind goes. Well, brother, you ain't worshiping. No, but I'm pretty darn low. This is the same posture. The only thing is that my head is looking this way and not that way. That's the only difference. My head is looking, but I'm on all fours in a prostrate type position. And I know you might think, well, brother, now you're going too far. Listen, we are constantly being watched. That's why when I see people down like that, I say, make sure you say a prayer for me. If I see somebody down on their knees like that, like, you know, make sure you're praying for me. It's like, man, I ain't praying. Well, you sure look like it from where I stand. And you might not be. But see, the enemy can exploit that. Don't allow him to exploit nothing you do. This is why your very presence, you got to shun the very presence of what might look like something evil. Well, how do you do that, brother? When do you do that? You have to be mindful of yourself at all times. So here's what we know, because not only do eating pork not make you unclean, even though it is unclean, do you know that that which does not have fins and scales are unclean to us, but does not render us unclean? unless we touch it after it dies on its own. We're not to touch their carcasses. The carcass is the dead body. Now, here's where reason goes in. Well, if the pork is dead, you know, and you're eating it, then isn't that a dead body? No, that's processed meat. It's specific. You see, if you touch a dead body, a person, you're unclean. Even if you touch a dead, clean animal, we're not to touch their carcasses, dead bodies that would make us unclean, even if it is a clean animal that died on its own. This is what the Torah teach. And if any beast of which you may eat, die. He that touches the carcass thereof shall be unclean until the even. A specific time. If you touch a dead body, a human body, how long are you unclean for? Seven days. Leviticus 11.40. And he that eat of the carcass of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean unto the even. He also that beareth the carcass of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean unto the even. And you might think, well, why is this? In? Well, you know, if, if you go out in the field and you find one of your ox have died, now you have to dispose of it. You, you're forced to touch it. You got to move it. Understand that when you do that, you're going to be unclean, but you're only going to be unclean for a specific period of time. So understand that, he says. You can touch a live unclean animal, but not a dead one that dies on its own. As I said, touching a live unclean animal does not render you unclean. Eating the flesh of an unclean animal does not make you unclean. If we follow the commandments, we would not eat anything unclean because we are to detest it as an abomination. The dead carcass, the carcass is an abomination. You don't touch it. The animal, 
is unclean. You don't eat it. That doesn't give you permission to eat unclean because the instruction is it's unclean. If you follow the instruction, you won't be eating it. But sometimes if you are a farmer with animals, you may be forced to have to touch it. If we don't detest it as the abomination Jehovah calls it, then people will eat the abomination. And that's what people are eating. Unclean thing that they don't consider. It's an abomination and they're eating the abominable thing. And you know, there's a word for that. There's a prophetic word for that. Those who eat the things Jehovah calls an abomination will be consumed with those who worship idols, eat swine and mouse. Isaiah 66, 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst. That's idolatry. Eating swine's flesh. That's unclean. And the abomination, those things that they're not supposed to be eating that die. And the mouse shall be consumed together, saith Jehovah. So, Yeshua addresses the issue of being defiled, what causes defilement. And we have to make sure that we don't start adding to it. Because, you know, some of the questions that we've had about somebody who, you know, eat pork and they come to your house or, you know, you, they touch you because, and they ate pork. Do they defile you? I mean, there's a lot of conversations that we'll have that if we stick with what is written, and this is why we try to go to what is written and we understand where you're coming from with that question so that we can answer it according to Scripture. Because it's easy for people to read into the Bible things that aren't there. And we don't want to be that people. Because if we, if we are that people, you'll start teaching stuff that ain't there. Coming in agreement with stuff that ain't there. The next thing you know, you start venturing away from the truth slowly, little by little, until you find yourself out there and need a whole full-scale repentance. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.